Welcome to Smash to Pieces, a casual walk through the history of the Super Smash Brothers Ultimate roster. My name is Joe. My name is Matt. And, if you're new here, what we are doing on the show is we are playing one game for every character in Super Smash Brothers Ultimate from 1984's Duck Hunt to 2017's Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. And today's game is representing, once again, the OG. It is fighter number one. The 1996 Nintendo 64 game. I was representing Mario. God, that's like the third (laughs) week in a row I've forgotten to say that. The 1996 Nintendo 64 game. Super Mario 64. And we're not alone if you listened to our Donkey Kong Country episode. Then you already know that we are joined by a guest. Please welcome Jordan one of our fellow staffers at NWR. Welcome to the show proper, Jordan. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, uh, Matt. Uh, nice to finally get to the uh, Super Mario 64 episode here. We're looking forward to this. How are you guys doing? Oh, only only took us like three months to get through that Earthbound game. <laughs> <dude. laughs> uh, it's it's uh, kind of daunting, actually. I'm a little I'm a little nervous to be talking about this game because it's probably like before this i think the the quote-unquote biggest game we have talked about was street fighter 2 because obviously that created a genre but like mario 64 is a whole other level of influential like it it basically dragged the rest of the game industry into the third dimension whether they damn well liked it or not i'd say this is probably the single most influential game on our entire list for a lot of ways i'd agree more than creating a, a genre, Super Mario 64, it created, like, a, a way of playing games, right? Like, a, a a method of gameplay, maybe. Yeah, super influential game. It's kind mm-hmm. of hard to talk about, like, what exactly it did, because I don't, like, few games have ever had as big an impact as this game did. Like, it's it's something we frankly haven't seen since, and it's hard to pull out a specific example that was so influential in in such a particular way beforehand because it literally defined the entire third dimension in gaming and that's just not something that we've you know we never had that before and we never had that again it's it's unbelievable yeah and it's uh so in a way like i don't know how to talk about this game and unfortunately let's get the elephant out of the room there are certain parts of this game that didn't age great but uh we we should start with like the positives we we talked a lot in the pre-show about how we've we've all played this game and and kind of played it extensively uh in a way more or less um we all got at least one star in every world for this playthrough i believe except i didn't i didn't bother with shifting sandland because i hate deserts yeah you at least went into shifting Sandland. <laughs> yeah i just really hate desert levels they're quicksand isn't fun I made it my goal to get at least two stars in every single world, including the worlds that I absolutely hate. See, I was I was gonna do the one star per per world, but then then I got to um, Rainbow Ride, and I just I couldn't stand it at that point. I was I was so close to getting to my seventy stars that I'm like ah, I'll just go back and I'll just go back and get another one somewhere else. Like I I didn't want to deal with it. I, I think I made it like eighty percent of the way through the stage, riding the carpets, and I just like. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've kind of had my fill. Like, not that I'm not enjoying the game, but just I, I wasn't really in the mindset maybe for that stage in particular. So, yeah, a little preview of our bottom three stages here, maybe. 
<laughs> I would say Rainbow Ride's probably the worst level in the game. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. I like the way that you described it on your on your stream, Me. which was yeah, uh, which was uh, Rainbow Ride is what happens when you throw a bunch of level parts on the floor and then make a level out of it. <laughs> yeah. I think genuinely, yeah, it's probably the worst level in the game, and I still went and got two stars from it. Granted, they were the two easiest stars. So we're starting positive, I see. We just like we planned. I mean, it's almost it's almost as if they they needed to have an auto scroller type stage because they didn't have yeah. one yet. So we you know that you know I guess in Super Mario World uh, did did Yoshi, Yoshi's Island did it have any auto scrolling stages? I don't remember. I would oh, be shocked if it didn't. <laughs> yeah. So at any rate, it's it's something that's kind of been established in the series. At least they got to we got to do one here. So they just kind of throw it in at the end. And it's kind of funny to throw it in at the end because you could probably already be at seventy stars or, or well above that before you get to Rainbow Ride at all. So. I think maybe. Yeah. I think it's possible you could be at 70 stars before you even, like, have the chance to get into TikTok Clock or Rainbow Ride. Yeah, if you've been doing if you've been doing everything, right? If you've been collecting 100 coins every stage, too. It's possible, but it's not likely. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, but to genuinely get get us off on a positive start, I th- I think the game is a little front-loaded with its best levels, but yeah. man, those those first levels are so good. Absolutely. Uh, Bob on Battlefield and Womp's Fortress. And uh, I even like Cool Cool Mountain, even though ice levels traditionally can fall to the bottom of a well in every game. And a later a later ice level kind of can. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Bob on Battlefield is just like kind of perfect. It's the first big 3D level that gaming ever had. Uh, and like to that extent, it is kind of small. Uh, there are, there are teleport pads in it. Weirdly enough, they're hidden under some flower patches, and they're kind of unnecessary because of how small the level actually is. But it's just it's such a good level. It's a really really solid start on 3D game design, and it's got uh it's like it's got a linear path that you can follow to get up to the top but it's also got these little areas to explore off to the sides where you could find like you can find the red coins you can find the gate that you can open with the the pressure pad you can find those teleport pads you can find the the koopa troopa who you can ride on the shell introducing you know that new mechanic to the game you're introduced to the cannons first as something that, that you can't interact with. They're just a set piece for the battlefield uh, that is the level's namesake. And then if, uh, later, you get to get in that cannon and fire yourself out of it. It's a really, really great level. I think it does a really good job of... Maybe it's the, maybe it's one of the reasons why Super Mario 64 was so popular, so successful, so memorable. is because the game starts off in such a high note. With a with a stage that really introduces you to so much of what you can do in the game, and it's kind of like it's the, the the stage is mostly very flat, right? There's a lot of kind of there's not a lot of climbing you do. You do you run up to the top of the mountain. That's easy to do. There's nothing all that challenging or taxing doing all of the stars in that stage. The only one that's tricky is the flying one, right? And even then, yeah. like, there's no there's no danger of really failing that. You just keep going to refresh your your flying cap, and that's it. But yeah, it's, uh, it's it's such a good introduction to the game, I think. I think it also helps mm. there's no bottomless death pits in this one, which mm-hmm. every other level in the game, I think, has at least one, except yes. uh, Big Boo's Haunt doesn't. Big Boo's Haunt doesn't, and neither does... Uh, neither the water levels do. Lethal Lava Land or 
Most of them don't. Uh, I think it's just mainly Womp's Fortress. And then, uh, like, Tall Tall Mountain has one, and so does a lot of the st- the ones upstairs have some instant death pits. Mm-hmm. And that's that's really it. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think that's probably like it ha- not having any instant death falls is probably like a big part of the design being like, this is the first level they're going to play. And it would be really unfair if you just sort of threw them into, but if you screw up, you die. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's incredibly hard to die on this stage, right? Like you'd really have to just be jumping off the mountain or something like that, jumping off the top of the mountain mm-hmm. after the yeah. uh, King Bob-omb fight. Like, I, I don't know how else you would die. So it get it lets you, again, it gives you that freedom, that space to play around, right? And really get a feel for the controls that are going to be entirely new to a generation of players. Um, yeah, it, um, such an effective opening to the game. Speaking of King bob <laughs> Yeah? For those who watched Matt's stream... They know that I'm going to strangle him. <laughs> uh, so strangle King King Bobomb or strangle Matt? Strangle Matt. Oh. Because he the first, you wouldn't have seen this stream, so let me, no, let me break it down for you what happened. This bastard, his first star in the game was the Chain Chomp star. He got it first. And then proceeded to never go back to Bob-omb's battlefield what? until he got... <laughs> Star number 69 pretended oh, no. to end his stream yeah. and then came back saying, oh, uh, most people don't know this, but when you get 69 stars, you can fight a hidden boss and then went and fought King bob as his 70th star. <laughs> oh, very good. I like that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I missed it. And I'm going to fly to Jersey and fight him. Yeah. <laughs> Look, all I'm saying is that skilled players <laughs> can find <laughs> a hidden boss very late in the game. I hate you so much. It's clearly just one of those games that keeps on giving, you know? People are always finding secrets. Uh, for Matt, Matt, I'm sure you data mined that beforehand or something like oh, that. Oh, right? uh, yes, uh, 100%. Yeah. And actually, the, uh, encourage the, him. the endless staircase, of course, in the original release, it was a bug. Uh, it wasn't supposed to be endless. There's actually a top to it. So they, when they added this, sec- this new game plus secret boss... Uh, if when you get the 70th star from the secret boss, it actually unlocks the top of the en- endless staircase. It's a little, uh, little Easter egg for the dedicated players, and it has an entire, like, new ending. I hate you so much. <laughs> hey, Jordan, you got a, you got a schedule open for, uh, being the new host of Smashing Pieces? <laughs> I'm in the market. Sure, sure. What? What's the what's the next game, Joe? I'm all I'm all in. Uh, next game is Game and Watch Gallery. Um, <laughs> that's okay. not the next game. <laughs> It is now. So, uh, before we move on, would you all like to hear some fun facts that I discovered while uh, researching this game for a different show that I do? Because I think some of the some of the trivia behind the development of this game is nuts. Yeah, let's go. Sure. Uh, well, for for first off, uh, apparently the idea for a 3D Mario game came to Miyamoto while making Star Fox for the SNES. And he he had decided like, oh, I think my next game is going to be a 3D Mario game and he was going to make it on the Super Nintendo. Obviously, this game never even entered development because that would be insane. 
Star Fox already barely runs on the Super Nintendo. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's where he claims that the the idea sort of started. Uh, there's also, according to Jez San of Argonaut Software, who I guess was a group that had worked on Star Fox alongside uh, Miyamoto, Mario 64 was partially inspired by a canceled prototype of a 3D Yoshi game that would later be reworked into Croc, Legend of the Gobos, and uh, into sure it what? did, buddy. Croc, Legend of the Gobos. You don't know Croc? It's okay, neither do most people. <laughs> when is when is Croc uh, coming up on Shma- uh, Smash of Pieces? It's gotta <laughs> uh, be soon, right? It's actually uh, after Game & Watch Gallery. It's the oh, very okay, next okay. game after that. Perfect, okay, I'm in for that one. <laughs> Um, apparently the game was made by about 15 people. Or Croc or Mario? Uh, Mario. <laughs> We're done talking about Croc. <laughs> All the information I have about Croc is that one sentence. I think that was too much. I, th- I don't think you should have said it at all. <laughs> the fact that we have said the title of that game three times in this show <laughs> is already too much. I think that's more than any podcast in history has talked about <laughs> Croc. Uh, apparently, the game Mario 64 itself was made by a team of 15 people. Uh, the original camera was going to be Super Mario RPG style, isometric. Oh, that would have been awful. And then they decided maybe not. Sonic already tried that. It didn't go very well. Well, Super Mario RPG already tried that and it was awful, right? The, pl- <laughs> the platforming of that game is atrocious. Does it have platforming? I've never played it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, yeah. The yeah, little oh, I've played of that game, really I played bad. some. It's really, it's really bad. Uh, apparently... They also, because of this uh, isometric style, it was also originally going to have fixed paths instead of the free roam mechanic mm. that it that it has now. And you can still see evidence of that in the Bowser levels. That game eventually got made. Yeah. With Super Mario 3D Land. It's too bad I don't like that game. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, apparently... The the way that they tested Mario's movement actually is in the game. Uh, would anybody like to guess? Matt, you might know already. I've read Jordan, it, would, I know the answer. Would you like to guess how they tested Mario's movement and uh, how that translated into a part of uh, Mario 64 as it released? So how they tested Mario's movement in Mario 64? Yes, while they were developing. Gosh, I'm not sure. Is it something to do with the face thing at the beginning of the game when you start up a game? Mm-mm. Like moving his face around now, then I'm then no, I'm, no, no. Like the the physical controls. Like yeah, his his physical like Mario's physical uh, movement throughout the world, the three D the three D movement of Mario himself. How did they test that? Hmm. Is it like a stage in the game or a, a part of the game, like uh, a place you would go to? Uh, it shows up in the castle. It is an object, uh, an yes. object in game design terms, rather. No, I'm not sure what it is. So it was actually the rabbit. Uh, oh, okay, the rabbit's okay. name is Mips, named after the processors in the N64. Hmm. Um, and apparently what they would do is they would make a test environment, and they would drop the rabbit in there and see if they could catch it. And if they could, hmm. Mario moved well. Well enough for 1996. <laughs> hmm. uh, so I, I find it kind of cool that they they put in, you know, the the rabbit to to still be a thing in game because catching that rabbit is still really hard kind of yeah i'm bad at it. i'm so bad at it if you're curious mips stands for microprocessor without interlocked pipeline stages huh i was a little curious thank you matt <laughs> actually yeah i kind of was too 
the rabbit does seem kind of out of place, right? Like you find it, uh, I guess, in the kind of the second set of when you find the second set of levels, um, and mm-hmm. it does seem like, oh, why, why is there a rabbit here? Why am I chasing a rabbit? You know, you need to catch it because it's running away from you. But it does kind of, if you're, for the first time, if you're playing this game, it seems like, oh, well, why is this here? Right? It's just yeah. kind of random, right? The DS remake uh, would add a ton of rabbits around that would unlock mm. mini games. Oh, okay. Yep, I vaguely remember that. Which I guess is why I thought there were more than one rabbit in in the original game. I could have sworn there was a second rabbit upstairs, but they, there's not. There is a second <laughs> rabbit, but it's in the same place as the first one. Hmm. Really? I think huh. so, isn't it? No, that rabbit just shows up again, I think. And you can catch it, and he'll be like, uh, yeah. I don't have a star, I already gave it to you! Leave me alone! After you get 50 stars, then you can catch him again. Okay, that would explain it then. That would explain it then. More trivia. Obviously, we know that, uh, we know this, but but people, some people listening might not. The idea of a 3D moving camera was so new that they figured they had to attach it to a character so that they could basically tell players, no, you are controlling this character who happens to be holding the camera, which is why the key to, uh, mm-hmm. represents the camera in the game. Which, man, a 3D camera was so new back then, they had to contextualize it. <laughs> That's weird and kind of cool. Uh, another fun story. I, this is my second favorite one. I have one more after this. Is that apparently the booze, the way the booze work, which I don't fully get this because booze existed before this game and they worked relatively the same, but whatever. Uh, so in this game, they shrink and turn invisible when Mario's looking at them and then grow big and, and, and menacing and, and go straight for him when he has his back turned, which, I mean, is how booze work in Mario World as well. And apparently... Miyamoto claims that Mario 64's specific version is based on uh, the director's wife, Takashi Tezuka's wife, who apparently was normally very quiet and sweet and didn't talk much. And then one day, when Tezuka kept not coming home, uh, she showed up at work and exploded on him. Apparently, this was a big reason for why booze work the way they do. I mean, that story could be could have been about Mario World era. No, he claims it's specifically about 64's versions of Boos. I mean, that's just not true. Yeah, it's weird. I don't know. Uh, but my favorite story, the last one I'm going to tell, is uh, when they were playtesting the game, they brought in a bunch of middle schoolers, one of whom was Miyamoto's son, and they had them run around Bob on Battlefield for half a day and watch them from behind and saw what they did and then we're going to tweak the level design accordingly. Apparently Miyamoto watched his kid keep trying to climb up the same unclimbable hill over and over oh, no. and says that he remembers thinking, does this kid have any brains? <laughs> <laughs> That's harsh, man. Which? Wow, destroyed by your own dad from... <laughs> the first successful 3D platformers. And this coming from the guy who says, you know, a, a game, you know, delayed is eventually eventually good. And you know, maybe the son is just, uh, he's that game that just needs a little bit more, uh, work, a little more practice, a little bit more work put into it or something like that. I don't know. Can't delay a child. I mean, <laughs> true, true. as far as I'm aware, at least. I don't have, I mean, you have a kid, you'd know better than I do. I don't think you should try to do that, for sure. 
Yes, we are not condoning that. I think there are, I think there are, I mean, not, not to go too off, I think there are ways to, if you want to keep a baby inside and delay the birth happening, I think there are ways to do that, but. Ah, probably. Uh, yeah, not, not quite the same as uh, game development. <laughs> but yeah, so that's, that's some fun trivia about the development of, uh, Super Mario 64. Uh, you brought up the idea of of talking about our top three least favorite and favorite levels and mm-hmm. i like that idea because there cool. are there's if you think about it there's only like a handful of levels in this game there are 15 uh yeah that's yeah. that's not a lot all uh in the grand scheme of things especially considering like what we know today uh so why don't we go ahead and start with our least favorite so we can do do the happy ones <laughs> After that, uh, and Jordan, you're the guest. You uh, go ahead and go first. Start with your least favorite, and we'll get better as we go. Okay, okay, cool. Uh, so least favorite, uh, we kind of alluded to this earlier on. Uh, it's Rainbow Ride. I, I just I don't like that you can't really run around and do the things you do in other stages. It's so much different. It's such a major departure from the previous fourteen stages. And like again, but by positioning it last in the game. You're almost you're almost encouraged to ignore it or to be so close to the end by the time you get there that you you you, you don't really need to do anything there. You can just kind of safely ignore it. And so, uh, in most of my playthroughs, I have I think of the most stars I've probably got is maybe three or four out of the six, and I usually or seven I should say uh, I'm usually happy with that. So yeah, Rainbow Ride my my least favorite, and it's it's by a, a fair bit. Rainbow Ride is also my least favorite, uh, and a big part of it, um, uh, Miyamoto's talked in interviews about, like, the design philosophy of the Mario games, and, like, later 3D Mario games would have things like Flood and Cappy and the Luma Spin that allow you to make minor corrections in your jumps, uh, and that's why they can have more intense platforming challenges in the later ones, because it's very difficult to judge your, your jumps in a 3D space compared to a 2D space. Mario 64 had no such way to make minor adjustments, so they didn't make a lot of really intense platforming challenges. But then, Rainbow Ride comes along designed just like an old 2D Mario level, with no way to make those minor adjustments, and it's just awful. It's, like, Rainbow Ride feels like a feels like a level from a game before Mario 64 existed. <laughs> and boy, howdy, it's not good. Until, like, I think last night when I was really thinking about this, I would have said that Rainbow Ride was my second least favorite level in the game. But no, I think, yeah, no, I agree. It's the worst level in Mario 64 by far, 100%. Uh, and it's also just, it has no thematic consistency, which goes back to Matt's comment about just being a bunch of level assets thrown on the floor. And it's just not fun to play on. It's just not fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. When, you know, so much of the stage is just instant death, it kind of just kind of sucks. It's just not a lot of fun to spend time there. You can't you can't do all the fun stuff that you do in the other stages. Yeah, definitely a pass. Yeah, taking taking risks in Rainbow Ride is almost a guaranteed death every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, second least favorite for me, and I think I mentioned this uh, during the preview, um, Hazy Maze Cave. Uh, I, I always get lost in this stage for whatever reason. Uh, I, I find the, the maps that they provide you you know maybe it's fine for you know the first game on the Nintendo 64 but they they always confuse me they still do now um i think i got one star there this time the the one um uh, in the the lake with the the monster floating around in the water um 
but otherwise and i of course i I did the green switch there as well but that that's the most uh that i wanted to spend in the hazy maze cave so that's the second least favorite for me see i don't mind the hazy maze cave nowadays but as a kid i got lost in that level constantly i could not find my way around Hmm. because i was stupid i i don't think i ever got past the 50 star mark as a child because i was a dumb kid so Even in this run, I didn't spend a lot of time in Hazy Maze Cave. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't rank it in my bottom three because I like a lot of the ideas that are going for it. But overall, it's just kind of, you know, it's it is. Yeah, I wouldn't put it in my in my bottom three. My uh, second least favorite level actually is a Tiny Huge Island. Mm. I don't know what it is about it. I actually legitimately do not know, but I hate that level so much. I. I go to it so little when I replay this game that I forget Wiggler is in this game until the credits <laughs> roll and it shows me a Wiggler. <laughs> yeah, the exact same happened to me when I beat the game as well. I'm like, oh, I didn't, I didn't see him anywhere. Is this just like something, uh, you know, something you see in the credits? It's not actually in the game, but no, it's just I don't spend a lot of time in that level. I, I, I'm with you there, Joe. That's close to the bottom for me. I just, I don't know what it is about it. I really don't, but every time I go play that level, I just hate it. I'm not having a good time. <laughs> yeah. So, that's where it comes down to for me. My number two least favorite is going to be Snowman's Land. Specifically because of the Snowman's Big Head Star. <laughs> uh, which has you going across that sliding platform with the, the penguin blocking the wind from this like the snowman blowing on you. And the... The graphics of the wind is a lie. The hitbox <laughs> is just whatever the game feels like it is. But also keeping up with that penguin is a pain in the ass. Yes. Yeah, the worst part is that halfway through, he's going forward, then he stops and he takes two steps back. Like, you jerk. Mm-hmm. I always get caught by that. I fell off a bunch of times, lost my hat. Too. The worst part is that you lose your hat, too. You always got to go pick it up. Yeah. And of course, it's on. it's on ice. It's on a sliding platform. Yeah. To make everything even worse. <laughs> I hate that level a lot. I found that I liked it slightly more than I remembered liking it. I still would probably rank it, like, in my top five least liked levels, but I don't know. It's not great. There's a lot about that level I hate. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, yeah. So what about your number third, your third least favorite? I'm very curious about what this one is. Yeah, I'm not sure if we're we're in a, in step with this one. Uh, it's shifting sandland for me. Um, I do. I, I, Matt, I think you mentioned something about this earlier. I, I I hate the the instant death and the in the the quicksand parts. I don't mm-hmm. I don't necessarily hate desert levels, but I hate this one because so much of the stage is covered in areas you can't really go, or you 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 die almost instantly, and I just don't like that part. Um, the fact that it's basically surrounding the pyramid, and I think the pyramid's cool. I don't, I want to kind of run up the side or play around with that structure in the stage. And you really can't, you kind of just have to enter it or maybe get the stars that are around it, but you can't really explore around the base because it's covered in something that will kill you. So yeah, it's, it's, it's really just that. Like I like, I like the inside of the pyramid. I think it's a cool feature of the stage, but everything else outside, it isn't that, uh, isn't that attractive to me. So Shifting Sandland. I didn't play it because I went <laughs> in and left immediately, so I'm not comfortable yeah. putting it in my my bottom three because I feel uninformed on it. 
but yeah, it's oh God, it's just a lot of the things that I don't like in levels all bundled into one. The movement feels really limited. The instant death quicksand is terrible. Oh God, it's it's uh, not a good level for me. See, I don't mind shifting Sandland all that much. I have a good time playing it. I think I agree with with uh, you, Jordan, though, that the the inside of the pyramid is where the the level really shines, and outside is just sort of there. Yeah, it's really fun in there. It's really fun in there because there's no instant death. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's right. I I actually legit think I've never played inside the pyramid. It's good. The pyramid is fun. And yeah, it has fun. It has one of the only bosses in the game I think is actually like legitimately fun. The rest the rest of the bosses in this game are very basic, which I guess we can we can talk about that in a bit. But the the boss in the pyramid, the hands is is actually kind of fun to fight, and started a type of boss that has basically been in every single 3d mario since mm-hmm. uh, my third least favorite level in the game is actually wet dry world mm. i okay. hate that level i don't it's also the same as tiny huge island where i can't actually tell you why except that when i was a kid that level was a nightmare for me to play it's definitely tough to navigate if you don't already know how to do it, because uh, you need to be really careful with the water level, and a lot of people don't actually know that you can cha- you can change the starting water level based on where you get into the portrait. Mm-hmm. I had forgotten that until I was watching your stream. Uh, the the height at which you enter the portrait into Wet Dry World decides what the water level starts at. It's actually the only way to get it at its highest depth to get into the town area. We actually have a saying amongst uh, another friend of, of mine named Joe. He he has a saying. I shouldn't say we. He came up with it, which is there is no God in wet, dry world. Because we all <laughs> we all bonded over our shared dislike of this level. Again, I don't know what it is. I think it's mostly just like, I don't know, level looks boring. It looks boring, and I don't like the water level mechanic. And I don't know. There's not a lot about wet, dry world that I enjoy. I thought about putting it um, as my third uh, in the bottom three, but I the reason I didn't is because I really think it's interesting that you can enter the portrait at different heights to control the water. I think that's just such a neat idea. And correct me if I'm wrong, guys, there's only two two worlds or two levels in the game where you can do something like that, right? Where you enter the portrait at a certain time or place and it changes the world inside. I think it's just, just this one in TikTok Clock technically tiny huge island but it's not really the same they're different they're different portraits right so yeah 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 i i for for that reason i had to i put it up a little bit higher i was kind of trying to rank all of them in my head and i uh, came up with the one reason to put this one out of the bottom three so but i i i, I see what you're saying joe and i definitely definitely get that mm-hmm. uh for me in my bottom three i would put tall tall mountain I don't think there's a lot of interesting stars in Tall Tall Mountain. I think the ones that are there are bland uh, or bad. Uh, Like, I cheesed more stars in Tall Tall Mountain than any other uh, area in the game. You getting that one from the the slide was... I can't believe that worked. (laughs) Yeah, like I did some some weird maneuver from the side uh, that actually shouldn't have worked, but I abused the physics. I think, like you said, that the the theme of Wet Dry World was was aesthetically bland. That's how I feel about Tall Tall Mountain, um, because 
it's it's either you're looking at a wall or you're looking at a void or you're and looking at a mushroom i feel like the vertical climb limits the the exploration factor it's a lot more linear than the other levels and it just kind of got it it gets dull for me really quick i just don't have a lot of fun with it i can definitely see what you're saying and i think this is the perfect segue into uh top three levels because telltale mountain happens to be my number three uh my third favorite level in the game i don't know i i love telltale mountain but i think a lot of it is nostalgia i spent a lot of time in that level as a kid uh, so much that I'm pretty sure I'm one of two human beings that's ever had the monkey actually steal his hat. Because um, it hadn't happened to either of us. Uh, I know that this stream is pro- was probably the first time I ever got that star out on the far out mushroom. Because as a kid, I could just never find the, the bomb, which is dumb now that I know where it is. Uh, because it was just right there. Uh, <laughs> I just yeah. never got it. But uh but I was I was taught a trick by my roommate to just you just long jump you long jump off the log and you have it. You'll land directly on that mushroom, no problem. Uh so that felt good. I don't know. I really like Telltale Mountain for some reason that I can't really put into words. I think it's all nostalgia. I mean I, I like it as well. It was it's in my top five. Um it, it I I considered it for my top three as well. Um I don't, uh, I kind of see what Matt's saying as well. I don't think that the stars are all that interesting, but it's one of the only late, later game stages where I, I feel compelled to do all the stars. I think they're all doable. Uh, the one thing that I really hate about that stage, which I'm going to keep that out of my top three, is the uh, the red coin star. Um, I hate having to go to that <laughs> mushroom to collect it afterwards. It's just so brutal. And at least two or three times I collected all the coins and then would die trying to get to that, that, that star on the mushroom. So I'm like, you know, to hell with that. But uh, otherwise, I think it's a pretty fun stage. I like the verticality of it. I like mountain stages like that where you're constantly going up. I forgot about that eight red coin. I like the eight red coins simply because of the jumping between the mushrooms. But yeah, I forget every time that it's going to put it all the way over there. Yeah, yeah. It's just collecting the star. I, li- I like collecting the coins for sure, but that, where they put that star is just ugh, brutal. So my third favorite stage is Womp's Fortress. I think a lot of it is the fact that when I was young, I played this stage a lot. Like we we spent so much time on the first two or three stages of the game, uh, just kind of first time playing with this controller, first time playing a three D game, like. I spent so much time just kind of exploring every part of this stage and again replaying it after dying and trying to collect all the coins and stuff like that. Um, I love that one of the stars is just blasting Mario into a wall and exploding a corner to get a star. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. Um, uh, I like the owl that picks you up and you get to fly around the stage and kind of see that that perspective of the stage from up on high looking down. I think that's really neat too. And I think there's only a couple stages where that even happens. So. Um, yeah, just uh, kind of a few of my favorite moments in the game happen in Womp's Fortress, so that, that's why it would be number one for me, or number three for me, I should say. Womp's Fortress is also a favorite of mine, but uh, I will uh, put that on hold for myself until we get there in my list. I will also put it on hold for myself. <laughs> <laughs> What's your number three, then? My number three, uh, I would say that, oh god, I was t- I was tossing around between two and now i gotta now i gotta really make the decision <laughs> um it's going to be bob on battlefield it was between this and lethal lava land 
I like them a lot. I like them both a lot. The Bob on Battlefield, I laid it out already. Um, it's it's just such a perfect opening level, and it teaches you the game so well from minute one. Uh, I I don't I don't want to reiterate everything that I said too much. So it's just it's 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 a really 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 good opening level. And I think it is exactly what the game needs uh, as the num as the very first spot that you go to, and it's it's great. So my number two is surprisingly uh, Big Boo's Haunt. Big Boo's Haunt is good. It didn't make my top three, but I like it. I think that was the thing that if I had to draw a line from being a little bitch kid that did not enjoy horror. Uh, to being me now, who, like, horror is one of my favorite genres of video game now. Uh, I think Big Boo's Haunt is probably, like, point A on that map. I love the atmosphere. I love the, uh... A lot of the stars are kind of disappointing, because, like, three of them are... Go fight Big Boo! Like, three separate stars are fighting Big Boo. That's half. Um, which, it, yeah, that's half the stars in the entire level. But at the same time, like, we all remember that piano. We all remember that piano making us lose our minds as children. The piano's ter- it's terrifying. It's still terrifying, you know, 20 years later. A little bit, yeah, actually. Yeah. Even I'm 26 years old, and that thing still scares the crap out of me. Like, I went, to, I went to get the red coin behind it, and I'm like, oh, maybe it won't come to life. And of course it does, and I'm like, oh, man, that is freaky. God, putting that red coin behind that thing was such a jerk move. Yeah, yeah, they knew exactly what they were doing. Mm-hmm. It's a good moment. It's a very well-designed moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's really good design in general in that level. Yeah, it feels it feels like a neat little haunted house level, and uh, I enjoy it a lot. I think I disliked it more before I started playing the game. Maybe it's my memory of the the stage and you know, all the scary things in it. But um, I, I, yeah, I liked it a lot more in this uh, more recent playthrough. And I, I think I end up getting most or all, even all the stars, and I didn't expect that. I kind of left it for it was one of my last ones actually. I, I was like, oh, I'm not, I'm not I, I don't want to fond memories of that stage, so I'm just going to leave it, but leave it alone, and see if I can get to seventy without it. Uh, but I ended up going back to it, and yeah, having having a lot of fun there. It's not it's not a bad stage at all actually. Um, not probably not my top five, but uh, closer to that number than it was before for sure. I think the the only star that I'm actually legitimately a not a big fan of is the third big boo one where it puts the star on the fucking roof no that was my favorite star on the whole level i hate that star because i hate (laughs) i hate it just putting the star on the roof i don't i don't think getting to that star is very fun uh getting to the boo it, like learning the wall yes. jump and all that that's super cool i like that it's it's just after you beat the boss it's like all right Star's up there now. Good luck, idiot. That's a much easier <laughs> jump than you give it credit for. <sighs> I still don't like it. But yeah, that's my that's my number two. I love that level. Just as a quick aside, I think in, in general, maybe we're, we're all on the same page with this. I, I don't like stars that, the, after you've done something challenging, they put the star in a more challenging place, right? And that that example you gave, Joe, about that, that big boo on the, 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 you know, the top of the top of the mansion... Like that's it's prime among them, right? You, yeah, you do the tricky wall jump, you you fight the big boo in a very kind of small area, right? There's not a lot of space to run around there, so you've done two challenging things, and then the, what could be the hardest thing, or definitely another hard thing, 
um, unless you're an expert like Matt, uh, <laughs> is getting that that star where they, they put it put it out of reach, right? So yeah, it's it's one of those things. Where it's like I did the thing you wanted me to do already. Yeah, Why do I gotta yeah. do another? Uh, fine. Yeah, exactly. Um, so my second one, I, I think Matt and I might have the same list, just different order. Uh, Lethal Lavaland is my second favorite stage in the game. Um, I think the reason why is that you can kind of see, you can almost see the whole stage at, from the beginning of the stage. And I, there's something interesting to me about that. At least you think you can see it all until you find the rolling log on the side and you, you hop in the volcano, which I think is a, a neat and challenging, uh, kind of an interior part of that stage. Um, I think the, the bully stars are a little repetitive. I could do without that, but, um, there's something about kind of avoiding the lava, but also there's something about not giving a fuck and just being like, I'm just going to bounce off the lava. I've got full health. Like there's coins over there. Who gives a shit? So you just kind of run into the lava to make a, make a more difficult jump easier or something like that. Right. That's kind of part of why I like it too. It's, it's very, it's very free form if you, if you're, if you're confident enough. Sure. I mean, if you wanted to, and if you wanted to speed run this stage, like I've seen people do, and it's pretty insane, right? How fast you can get to all the stars, just because everything is kind of, it's all very accessible. It's all right there. Um, yeah, I, I, I definitely did all the stars, including the coin one, uh, which is a little trickier in this one. Uh, but I, I just like that level so much that I want to, wanted to complete it hundred percent. I like Lethal Lava Land a lot. It's not in my top three, but it's it's uh, probably just outside of it. I think it's my mm-hmm. favorite level downstairs for sure. It just narrowly missed my top three. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. I ne- I've never actually thought about the the whole thing of like you can see almost the whole level from the start. That's a really good point that has never crossed my mind. Yeah, I think it's one of the few stages that's like that where yeah, it, it, it the maybe total area of it isn't that large. Uh, just yeah, there's something about when you first get there, you're like, oh, this is obviously going to be very dangerous because all this lava is around. But you can actually see everything that you're going to go to eventually. There's also that um, uh, shell you can get pretty early on, which lets you ride in the lava, I believe. And uh, just kind of zipping around on that makes the stage pretty pretty simple. Yeah, it's uh, I, in a lot of ways, I feel like Lethal Lava Land accomplishes a lot of what Rainbow Ride is trying um because it is more of a straight platforming challenge in ways but i think it's a better one uh in that for sure in that it's it's less strict and also it's not as immediately punishing like it's not instant death if you fall you can recover from the lava i mean and you can go as fast as you want through that stage it's not like rainbow ride where you have to wait you cannot go as fast as you want unless you're like a super expert player making all these crazy jumps but for for most players in rainbow ride it's very slow it's very plodding um compared to a lot of the other stages uh, maybe minus the water ones which <laughs> it's kind of telling that the water levels are not on either on any of our as far as i can tell don't seem to be on either of the sides of our level <laughs> lists no. it took a long mm. time for 3d swimming to be good as some would say it still ain't there <laughs> some would be me for my number two I'm going to give it to Tiny Huge Island. Mm. Uh Tiny Huge Island, you know, I'm I'm good at it. It's not perfect. Uh the that tiny that like baby-sized bridge getting into the Wiggler cave kind of sucks. You don't actually fight Wiggler, which is weird. Um oh no, you do. He's just he doesn't turn red. I remember yeah. you getting very angry about that, which yeah. rightfully so. Why doesn't Wiggler turn red? That's like his <laughs> one thing. 
Granted, this is only the se- isn't this like the second game Wiggler showed up in ever? I don't know, probably. But uh, hey, uh, Mr. Miyamoto, I would like you to please contact me directly and explain yourself. <laughs> uh, that that's why I don't remember fighting Wiggler because he doesn't do the thing that Wiggler does. The reason that I like Tiny Huge Island so much is because it's it's something that really stuck with me when I was a kid because it utilized the like it did as good a job as the rest of the game utilizing the new, the brand new 3D idea uh and like conveying that in cool new ways but Tiny Huge Island conveys it in a very particular way because in a 2D game you wouldn't really be able to sell the effect of the 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 changing size of the island quite as well mm-hmm. um because you would never be able to see the entire island in 2D the same way that you can in a 3D space uh, it's the first time that a game was ever able to do something like this, so it's it like they they did it to great effect, and I think that it's really cool to feel the the same part of the stage in drastically different ways. I think it's a very effective kind of trick, and it like the 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 illusion works really well. Like now that I'm an adult, I know how video game levels are made, and I know that it's it's two different maps that just have the same layout. But it it feels like they're the same. The illusion is pulled off very well, and I'm a big, big fan of that. So I think this stage is a direct callback to uh, Super Mario Brothers three. Uh, it's, I believe it's World Four. I can't. I don't care if it's called Giant Land or something like that. Mm-hmm. I think it is. Um, where uh, the pipes are larger, even though the enemies might be around the same size, but you do start to see the the giant Goombas, the giant Koopa Troopas, um, and so you're you're kind of immediately reminded of that uh, when playing this stage in Mario sixty four. I think. Um, I do think it's one of the more interesting stages in the game. I don't like playing it that much. Uh, but I, I, I have to give them a lot of credit for what they, what they did with it. I do think it's very, uh, cool stage. I would agree that it's, it's gimmick is very interesting. It's just, I'm in the same boat as Jordan. I, I don't have fun playing on stage. No. All right. Well, I guess that leaves it up to, uh, number one, which I, I think from the sound of it, me and Matt both have the same number one, which is Womp's Fortress. Womp's Fortress. Womp's Fortress is fantastic. Uh, I was so hyped to see it come back in Mario Galaxy 2. Yeah, they, they knew it was the best level, because they brought it back. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, that Bob on Battlefield is is fantastic. It's a great introduction to the game. But I think that Womp's Fortress is when you first it first starts throwing like a real challenge at you. And mm-hmm. starts expecting you to like, all right, now you gotta start learning how to use the long jump, or the triple jump, or... That kind of thing, uh, especially with the second star and having to climb that tower. It's not a hard, it's not a super hard platforming challenge, but it's definitely a bit more than than what you've had to face so far. Miyamoto has said in interviews that the way he'll design a level like levels in a Mario game is that he'll make he'll make what he feels is a good, fair starting level to start the game with. And then he'll make that two dash one and then he'll make an even simpler level and make that one dash one. And I kind of feel that with Womp's Fortress versus bob Battlefield. Womp's Fortress, uh, so bob Battlefield is is very, very much a tutorial area. And then Womp's Fortress says, okay, you know what you're doing, now let's get started. And it's a showcase of all of the cool new mechanics in the game in a more challenging way. And I really like that you can follow the regular linear path that takes you past uh, the slide-in-and-out platforms, past the thwomps and everything... Or, if you know how to use the backflip really well, 
you can just jump right over the wall at the start and get into the into the water uh the water the shallow water area uh, i don't know what that's supposed to be it's just got some water there but whatever it is you can get right there and skip half half the climb up it's very compact it's more compact than bob on battlefield even it's a it's a smaller level but it's also got so much more complex geometry that it feels like there's so much more going on even though it is technically one of the if not the smallest level in the game I just, I really, really, really love Womp's Fortress because it, it's kind of like the greatest hits of Mario 64 and all the best things that you can do in the game right here in one level. And I love it. And it's, it's kind of like how we were talking about earlier with the, uh, it's, it's very hard to die in bob Battlefield. Uh, meanwhile, Womp's Fortress is the one that's like, all right, now if you mess up, you die, you get punished. Yeah. So yeah, Womp's Womp's Fortress rules. It's very good. What is your number one, Jordan? I'm very curious, actually. Yeah, it's uh, it's Bob on Battlefield, actually. <laughs> the dichotomy of man. Yeah, the reason I say that is I I like how well it, it opens the game. I'm always excited to. It's it's one of the reasons why I'm I'm excited. I was excited to start the game is because I I always go there first. And I just kind of feel safe. I feel at home there. Obviously, a lot of nostalgia for that. Not only the theme of the the level. Uh, theme song i should say but also just just the stars just the the, the challenges there i know them all by heart now mm. um but bob on battlefield it it lets you do it's kind of a sandbox type level it lets you do whatever you want you know you can you can use the cannon and just blast off into space you can fly around with a cap you can climb to the top of the mountain and jump off you you'll lose half your health but you won't die you can you can ride a koopa shell you can step on a switch uh you can pound a uh, a pole into the ground to free a chain chomp who breaks a gate it's so it's so neat to me that that happens i don't know i there, there's something really magical about that that opening stage that i really i just couldn't i couldn't not put that one at the top for me i it's my favorite stage in the game i always no matter how many times i've maybe just started up a game and not finished it through uh i'm always excited to go back to to bob on battlefield yeah i i totally agree it's not in my top i it would be in my top five i think it and lethal lava land are probably my like four and five basically and yeah we've we've talked at length about what makes bob on battlefield special at this point but like yeah it's i think if i could point out like a a perfect first level for this game it would be they they nailed it with bob on battlefield's for sure. I, I, I do think that part of the reason that this game was so successful at everything it was doing uh, and so successful commercially and critically and popularly, if popularly is a word, it's because they it is now. <laughs> it's because they started with the perfect starting level. Yeah. So, yeah, let's uh, a couple a couple of criticisms, just a, a few notes uh, moving as Mario in small ways sucks like turning around when you're not moving already is garbage like he almost gets tank controls it's weird uh the camera has and and again this is not their fault this was the first camera of its kind you got to give them props for that but also i'm a very big proponent as people will know through my entire tirade through the nes games that we have played (laughs) uh I'm a big proponent of even if a game has a mechanic that is now bad because of how much we have improved it since then, 
I I feel obligated to criticize it now because in in my mind that points out how far we have come. Mario 64's camera in 1996 was revolutionary and amazing. In 2019, it sucks. So if if we're in the hot take corner, I've got I've got my own thing to say uh in that so we all know this game is revolutionary. It defined not only the genre, but the dimension. We're so afraid to make these hot takes. We're so afraid to make these hot takes that we have to point that out for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> it defined the fundamental world in which the game takes place. Unbelievable. No, no one had ever done this before. But anyone that says this game has aged perfectly... And says that it's still, to this day, the best 3D Mario is so unbelievably wrong. If you want to say that it did more than any other Mario game afterwards did to push the boundaries, I'll agree with that. If you want to say it was the most innovative game in the series, I'll agree with that. But if you want to say, to this day, it is still the best game to just sit down and play in the, in the series, you're wrong. And I can tell you specifically why. It's because of Mario's terrible acceleration. It's utterly awful. And the way that turning works with that acceleration. I hate it. I hate it. I hate that if you're not at a complete stop, he does like a full 360 degree circle to turn around. Like he has to move forward a little bit while doing it. It's terrible. Utterly terrible. And we've moved on from that. And it's not the game's fault, because no one had ever done this before. They didn't know how to make a 3D character move. But boy, howdy. 90% of the times that I screwed up something in this game, it was because of that stupid acceleration. I would agree that saying it is the the best 3D Mario game is, is incorrect. It's still my favorite. With a bullet. With an but, asterisk. Um, uh, with a bullet. <laughs> Well, with an asterisk saying that I haven't played Sunshine yet, and maybe that'll be my new favorite. Uh, I doubt it. Won't. But <laughs> I love Sunshine. <laughs> wow, you were sorry. So, spoiler alert. Yeah, it won't. You it were won't. ready for that. I love Sunshine. <laughs> it won't. Well, we're talking about 3D Mario games, so I figure Sunshine's going to get a mention at some point. And yeah, no. Uh, but it did not age perfectly. People that say that I agree, they're nuts. That is not to say, again, and I feel like we have to point this out. We had to point this out with the NES games, too. Like, I I said the same thing with Castlevania. Just because it didn't age perfectly doesn't mean it's bad. Just because it hasn't aged perfectly doesn't even mean it was bad at the time. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, it was it was much better in the 1996 times than it would be today. That's easy to say. It was also by far the best game to be doing what this game was doing at the time. By far. Oh, yeah. If you go look at any compare, like, the Jaguar, I think, had some, some 3D games at the same time. They were trash. Even by those days' standards, they were trash. I don't know that there's any games in the 3D space from, like, the N64 era, the GameCube era, anything like that, that have aged perfectly. I think that's such a hard thing to say when we moved into the 3d space i think there are some 8 and 16 bits uh 16 bit games that have aged very well perfectly strong but um yeah definitely not this one i think it's i think it's aged okay i think it's still very playable i think it's still very fun but the camera and the controls are horrible 
and they were all they were all we knew back then but you know to to say that they're really really good now and aged perfectly is just wrong there is legitimately one single game i think has aged pretty okay from that entire like period of 3d games i love the n64 era it's where i grew up it is where most of my most cherished childhood memories playing video games uh exist most n64 games aged like piss <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah for sure and and you can say the same about the playstation one most playstation one games aged like piss it was a really weird simile because like it implies that piss was ever good to start with yeah uh well there's uh, a reason that the that the expression is aged like milk but you you get what i mean like they all aged poorly none of them like kept that same luster and i people will will say like i mean banjo kazooie did it banjo kazooie kept kept it a little bit more than a lot of other games of that period i'll admit but mm. even that game didn't age perfectly i don't think uh I don't think Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask aged perfectly. Oh God, I'm going to disagree with you so hard when we get there. I mean, Donkey Kong 64 aged immediately. I don't know. I feel like <laughs> Donkey Kong 64 is <laughs> yeah. better nowadays when we know what we're getting into. I love that game so much. You said there was one game that you feel aged really well, and I agree. Pokemon Snap perfectly. I mean, yes, <laughs> that wasn't the game I was thinking of. But now that you bring it up, yes, you are correct. Pokemon Snap exactly as good now as it was then. The only 3D game that I personally think aged, not perfectly, but, like, pretty well in comparison to a lot of other games of the time, is Silent Hill on the PlayStation 1. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that a lot of that was... A very a very similar game to Pokemon Snap. Yeah, it's it's pretty much the exact same game if you've played it. Uh, there's a Pikachu in both of them. <laughs> uh, the Pikachu doesn't look very similar in Silent Hill, but it's there if you look closely. But yeah, it's that's just a thing that we're going to get with most of these most of these N64 games is going to be like and they're going to get better as we go as people figured out this whole 3D thing and then once we hit the GameCube, we're golden. Maybe one day we'll stop apologizing for our opinions. Well, when our opinions are on the most influential game ever made, <laughs> but also we have anxiety. No, we won't. <laughs> can I can I ask a question? I I know a lot of people put Super Mario 64 if not in the number one or, or top three spot in, in their top 10 games of all time, like it, it, what do you guys think about that? If, if, if someone, or you see those lists uh, like IGN puts out or something where they put Super Mario 64 as the number, the number one best game of all time or something like that. Is that, what, what does that, what does that statement mean to you guys? It depends on what context we're talking about it. If we're talking about it from a historical standpoint, then yes, I would absolutely mm -hmm. give it that for sure. But, if it's a if it's a holding up like still fun to play thing, like I think there are better games to give that title. There are better games in the Mario mm. series. Yeah, there are better games in the yeah. Mario series. There are games from before Mario sixty four that while they didn't uh impact the industry as hard as Mario sixty four did, they still aged well. Like Chrono Trigger, mm. I think, has not aged a day. No, not a not a day. Super Metroid when we played it, I don't think that game's aged a day. For Super the most Metroid part. aid no. aged a single day, in my opinion. Uh, in that I, I hate shifting between the, the missiles and super missiles instead of just, like, holding a button. And that's the only thing I could say about that game that I don't like. And in a lot of ways, uh, 
during your stream, Matt, you you made a a the hottest take that could have possibly happened, which was Mario sixty four is ice climber, which I disagreed with, and then brought a different <laughs> possibility to your table, which we both agreed with, which which is uh Mario sixty four is the kid Icarus of three D games. Uh it is you can definitely see that you are getting there, but Mario Mario Brothers hasn't come out yet and shown people, oh, that's how you make a 2D platformer and make it good. So I said that, and I agreed with it, but I also think it's wrong, because... I think it's <laughs> I think it's the Super Mario Brothers of 3D games, though, like, yeah. 100%. I would say, to answer your question, Jordan, it does definitely depend yeah. on if you're talking, are we looking at the scope of their impact on the industry, or are we looking mm-hmm. at, I want to sit down and play a game right now in the year of our Lord 2019. Yeah. If if we're going with the latter, if we're going, what is a game I should sit down and play right now just to have a good time? I I don't even know if I'd put Mario 64 in my top 50. But if we're talking mm-hmm. what its impact on the industry was and its historical importance, it is easily number one. And it's not even close. Yeah, yeah I would I would agree with that take. Yeah, I think I'm I think uh, I, I'm kind of in step with you guys as well. I, I don't know that it's. Um, it's it's probably one of my favorite games. I don't think it is one of the best games. I do think it's one of the most influential, like you guys have said. Uh, it certainly shaped where we are today. That's that's for sure. Um, yeah, just something interesting to think about. Well, I, I do want to add one more thing, as we were talking about like the 3D generation. I kind of appreciate Banjo Kazooie a little bit more after playing this game. Like I played, I played that when I when I got Rare Replay on my Xbox One, and I enjoyed it. But I, I maybe I. Uh, you know thought it was a little bit rough but after playing this game i think i i do think that banjo kazooie has actually has aged pretty well too so um again not perfectly but i think it's very very playable just like super mario 64 is i think rare's platform 3d platformers in general really benefited from coming after mario 64 mm-hmm. as banjo kazooie especially they could they could look and i mean you can even see it in Banjo-Kazooie as well. They both have the same first level. They're yeah. both a spiral mountain that you're climbing up. Yeah. Well, right, also, exactly. with, with Banjo-Kazooie, I brought up two specific complaints with Mario 64, one of which was that you can't readjust your positioning when you're in, already in the air, and the other is the way that the acceleration screws with your turning. Banjo-Kazooie fixed both of those things, and... It had the benefit of having already played Mario 64 and knowing how it feels when you don't have when you when you mess those two things up. So like, yeah, it's standing on the shoulders of giants still for sure. But they 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 definitely improved on that formula. Uh, And like you can even see with within what was that? Not even a year, maybe two. They were already uh, they were already doing new things to improve upon the formula and make things better than they were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to. We've been going for this is already shaping up to be the longest episode we have had, which fitting, fitting, to be fair. I mean, if any game's going to be our longest episode yet, it might as well be Mario 64. And I mean, before that was Mario World, which was also at the time one of the most influential games ever made. Yeah. Although in, although we haven't this time around uh, issued a challenge to a former Nintendo of America employee who currently works at uh, Bass Pro Fishing. So, hey, that's a change. Wait, they don't necessarily have to be working at, at Bass Pro Fishing. Jordan, do you have any uh, ex-Nintendo of America employees you'd like to challenge to a fight? It's kind of a tradition <laughs> now, I guess. 
would Nestor count? Can I challenge Nestor to a fight? We'll just pretend for a second that he's real. He's real in all of our hearts, obviously. But after Nestor's funky bowling, man, like I got to take that guy out. I think that was that was the final straw. I think. All right, we'll put that on record. That is that is Jordan's challenge. Uh, that has to happen in every single um, guest episode now. By the way, I think Nestor's Funky Bowling actually isn't one of the worst Virtual Boy games, so I I, I, I stand a little bit corrected there. But uh, just he was such a jerk in those comics, so he's definitely got something coming to him. I'm gonna arbitrarily issue a challenge to Leslie Swan. Uh, who was uh, the voice Voice of Princess Peach. Voice of Peach. (laughs) And I believe the uh, editor-in-chief of Nintendo Power at the time as well. Was she? I believe so. I didn't know that. She was indeed the senior editor of Nintendo Power uh, in Mm -hmm. 1996. That is how she she landed the job of voicing Peach. Damn. What I do know is that she became a localization manager for Nintendo for a long time and only retired in 2015. I don't actually have any beef with you, Leslie, but I just wanted the chance to say that. So I'll challenge you. I also have Leslie Swan's Mario Wiki page open, and the top reference is uh, with an interview with one Billy Berghammer, founder of Nintendo World Report. Hmm. Ah, interesting. Good find there. It all connects. <laughs> it's all coming up, Millhouse. So, uh, as we're as we're starting to get into the the twilight years of the the episode, what the fuck does that mean? As you're we're not. Oh, to well, get, what are you, you saying? Are not editing that out. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that's staying in. That's staying in. As we're as we're getting to a to a wrap up point, can that be your? Can, that's got to be one of your closing lines or uh, approaching the end of the episode lines every time. I think. <laughs> as we're entering Just, the twilight when you want like, to segue to like the music part of the end of the end of the podcast. Getting to the point where we got to take this episode back kind back behind the shed and tell it to keep watching that sunset. Uh, we. <laughs> What's happening? That, that might be worse. That might be worse than Twilight. <laughs> this is what happens when we record an episode at 1 a.m. It sure keep does. The, keep watching the sunset in the twilight. I don't even know what the hell you said. I, I forgot it's so stupid. Two different time, two different oh. periods of time are happening at the same time right now. And I just need you to understand that. Let's talk about the soundtrack, shall we? And we we have to open with... There is one song that stands above all else. The best song in the game, and I hope we say the same thing. Oh, uh, we better. The- I, th- I don't think I don't think we're going to. I'm worried now. Like I know my my I have my number one by a mile, but well, this is this isn't me necessarily saying our our number one, but like this okay, is the most okay. iconic song let's, to come out of this game. Let's count down from one hundred percent and hope oh, we say God. the same thing. Three, okay. two, one. Slider, slider. docs. <laughs> I knew that was uh, the twilight thing and the the sunset just screwed me up. I probably had the right answer, but oh, oh. no. Well, the, just uh, keep keep your thoughts on that. But I'm but I'm gonna start with the what I think is the most iconic song to come out of the game. It's Slider.
And I'll tell you why you guys are saying that. I, I think it's because of the tie with Smash Bros, right? Like that is such a huge part of the Smash Bros soundtrack. I feel like you're always hearing that song in the Mario stages, but is that, is that it? Like, am I, am I off there? That's part of it. It's also just like, that's the song from 3D Mario that you hear the most often nowadays like in other 3d mario games like it's in galaxy it's i'm pretty sure it's in is it in sunshine i don't think it's in sunshine but it is in mario maker Mm -hmm. it's in galaxy it's in mario maker i'm pretty sure it's at least at some point it's in odyssey like it shows up and it's even started showing up in i think it's in 3d world started showing up in some 2d mario games like this is the one that's been brought over from mario 64 Mm -hmm. into and other songs from mario 64 obviously have shown up but not to the extent that Slider has. I just think there's like, there is so much energy to Slider. Uh, and it's, it's the most memorable song for me because it shows up in the, the first secret, uh, secret star in the castle, which is Princess Peach's secret slide. And mm-hmm. it's, it was one of those moments where it's like, Oh, there's, there's some special stuff going on here. We just like jumped into a stained glass window and suddenly found a secret area. Like there's, there's things to find and explore. And here's a uniquely 3d concept of sliding down this, this swirling slide down to a, a secret star. And you can get a second secret star. If you do it faster, it's such a memorable specific moment in the game. And it's tied into one of the best, one of my favorite compositions on the soundtrack, which, which has a lot of driving energy forward that it, it, it gets the blood pumping and it's, it, it feels a lot like, you know, thing, things are happening. Like we are on, we are on the forefront of a revolution with this song. But it gets points off because it plays on Rainbow Ride. So <laughs> that's, uh, you know, that's points off. Jordan, don't worry. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to make you feel better by saying that my favorite song in the game is Dire Dire Docks. <laughs> Thank you. I, I think I was trying when in, in you guys uh, had this thing about you know, maybe the most iconic or most uh, famous song from the from the game. I, I I was going with I think just thinking about my favorite ones, the ones that maybe are the most memorable to me. And mm-hmm. Dire Dire Dogs is definitely one of those songs. I, I, I love that song. I, I could listen to it any time of day. It is absolutely fantastic. It's the best thing to come out of those water levels. Yeah. Oh, for sure. It makes them makes them tolerable. I would say uh, Dire Dire Dogs. Well. I wouldn't I wouldn't really call it iconic in my mind. Uh it has one of the coolest musical things going on where in both of the levels that it plays in, uh as you progress through the level, it adds more instruments into it. And uh and it like mm-hmm. gets the feeling it, it it enhances the feeling that you're progressing and really helps to to add a sense of momentum and it, it the song is evolving with your progression and it's just so cool i love when games have dynamic music that changes based on what the what you the player is doing and this was one of the first examples ever 
that's another thing you'd see like Banjo Kazooie took and just ran with real hard for all of their levels. Yeah, and it's by no means the first. I mean, hell, Mario World did it with Yoshi, but I I love mm-hmm. when songs do that. It's my thing, and so it's it's so so good. Dire Dog, I, I kind of put my t- I did a top three music tracks as well. Dire Dog was number three for me. Um, you don't really hear it in the game very much. Uh, unless you kind of deliberately tried to listen for it. Uh, but I was listening to the soundtrack again uh, this afternoon, um, and it, uh, it's Piranha Plant's Lullaby. when you first encounter in Womp's Fortress with the sleeping piranha plants and if you if you get a chance to listen to like the, you know the two minute or two minute 30 second version of that song it's really really nice it's very very peaceful and it, it's just something I kind of makes you feel happy it makes you, it does kind of put you to sleep a little bit I guess that's the, the, the that's the idea but it's a really really good song that I, I think a lot of people will never hear at least they, they might hear the first few notes before they kick the piranha plant in the face. Mm-hmm. But if you want to hear more of it, I guess you leave the piranha plant sleeping or you'd, you'd, you'd have a look at the soundtrack or something like that. But it's very, very good. The official soundtrack has like a piano composition of it. such a nice piece yeah it's a shame that you it's very likely you you can to miss it right or to 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 ignore it or just hear the beginning because if Mm -hmm. you hear the whole thing it's quite good i'm gonna bring up a bit of a dark horse uh i like the haunted house theme that plays in big boo's haunt so much as it's it's an atmospheric sound which was also something really new to the era uh songs in video games weren't really able to be very much but melodies before we started to move into the 3d era you would see it in a couple games um but like in the examples we just had donkey kong country um the more atmospheric musics in that game felt kind of weird because they only had so many sound channels to work with and now getting into the 64 uh, and other consoles of that era, we started to have a lot more sound channels to work with to let us have a fully featured 
sound instead of just uh, a melody. So Haunted House uh, is one of the earliest songs in that regard to really just give that atmospheric feel, and I love it. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, Horror kind of lives and dies on its atmosphere, which Mm -hmm. is why, like, it's it's no coincidence that horror games became a major thing in this era. Like, Resident Evil came out the same year as Mario 64, and it, like, revolutionized survival horror. It's it's that kind of thing that, yeah, I think this, this is a great example of it. I am a big fan of, and nobody ever agrees with me, but I think that this game's Bowser theme is the best theme he's ever had. the song that during the bowser fights this is the the ones during the non-final bowser fight which we will probably talk about that song in a bit but like i just really 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 like this theme for me as a kid like this defined what bowser was supposed to be i almost put this on my list as well joe i think it's really good i think it starts off so kind of dramatic and it's it's almost like a uh, like a rap or a hip-hop kind of beginning to it, you know? And then it gets really mm-hmm. ominous in the middle. It's very, very good. I enjoy that one a lot. It just feels... It feels evil. Yeah. And Bowser... Bowser nowadays is... is He's a bad guy, and he's very evil and threatening, but they also try to find, like, a humorous side to him, mm-hmm. which I love. I love how Bowser works nowadays uh, in most of the games. But, like... This was my first experience with Bowser ever, in any way. This is the first Mario game I ever played. So, like, this theme just being directly in your face and opening with that dun-dun-dun, mm-hmm. it's just, I love it so much, it's so good. It's a really good composition, but for me, Koopa's Road uh, pushes it out just a little bit for me. same like boss character theme but it's got that driving um tension going going through it that i think is really strong and it's another song that would show up in other 3d mario games from yes. from here on so yeah it's it's notable in that regard as well mm-hmm. i think i'm gonna someone's gotta someone's gotta be basic and bring up you know the song the the one that you hear most often the Super Mario 64 theme. Mm-hmm. 
that plays in Bob on Battlefield uh, and Womp's Fortress and Tall Tall Mountain and Tiny Huge Island and so many more. No, I think that's it. <laughs> I think you just named all of them. <laughs> There's at least one more, isn't there? No, I think that's it. Well, okay, okay, it's, it's, it, there's a, dir- <laughs> four out of 15 is pretty good. <laughs> it is. There's a direct remix of it for the snow levels too, though. So it's sort of a basic pick and people kind of overlook it a little bit because it, it is kind of, it's more saturated than the other songs in the game, but it's a really solid one. Uh, and it would eventually mm-hmm. come back in Mario Galaxy fully orchestrated, uh, or in Mario Galaxy 2. Which is such a good version my favorite part of the, thir- the throwback the galaxy version is when it's going like and there's a guy in the background that just goes huh! <laughs> <laughs> that's good yeah i gotta listen to that one again it's a great great song though uh which i think it's a little underrated it's not as good as slider for me but it's it's very very good i think the fact that it appears so often in the game and you don't really get bored of it like it's you still enjoy it every time you hear it um, mm-hmm. you know why the reason they they use it so many places and and like you said matt remix it for the the ice levels too um my my number one music track uh you don't hear it very often and you can very well beat the game without ever hearing it um but i think it's really cool is the metallic mario theme that plays when you put on the uh the, the green cap or the, uh, the metallic cap Forty-five seconds or so, but it's very upbeat and kind of really pushes you to you know go as fast as you can while you have that temporary power up. And um, I remember I had the um, the OST or at least a, a version of the OST um, on CD, you know, way way back when the game came out. And uh, I remember I wanted to play the Metallic Mario theme like over and over again because I really really love that track. I would say between the two power up themes, it's the better one for sure. Absolutely, yeah. and it's still really weird that like. Metal Cap gets its own theme, but the Vanish Cap, the Wing Cap, and the Koopa Shell all have to share one song. That's right, that's right, yeah. Uh, I think my last song that I really, truly want to mention is, uh, it's the ultimate Bowser fight. It's the final boss theme. First off, organ pieces on their own in general are so fucking cool, but but this one in particular is just the the way that it sort of slowly builds at first and then just just cascades down with the da 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 da
It makes me think of something like Castlevania, you know, that, that truly belongs in like a, a horror game, maybe, or a horror action game or something like that. It's so, yeah, um, it just feels as large as the fight is. That's a good comparison. Or as gr- as grand as the fight is. It makes you forget that all they did was make Bowser rainbow. <laughs> um, and they're just fighting the same boss you fought twice already. Yeah. Oh, that spe- Speaking of, you know, all they did for for like bowser things uh this is just like a, a, a totally unrelated but it's just i didn't say it anywhere else in the episode and i feel like it's important for me to say uh bowser's laugh and uh the the, the booze laughing are the same sound effect it's just sped up for the booze mm. yep it has absolutely nothing to do with what we were talking about i just <laughs> wanted to make sure i said it well you're gonna hear it during that fight so it is connected somewhere <laughs> It's a challenging fight too. Like it, it's. A, I mean, I, I don't know. We didn't really touch on the Bowser fights too much, but that one when the stage changes, so it's just star shape. Like it's, it's pretty. It can be pretty tricky, right? Something about that screws me up. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but like I would keep. I I lost that fight twice. I think yeah, um, I before too. I actually beat him. Uh, but it was just I I did the first two hits perfectly, mm-hmm. and then it turns into a star, and then I guess my brain just goes <laughs> away and shuts off, and I couldn't get that last that last blow, no matter how hard I tried. Well, you at that point you can't you can't like throw him close to a bomb anymore, and just kind of inch his way towards the bomb. You have to do a big throw, and hit the bomb at a distance, right? I learned during this during this playthrough that I'm actually surprisingly good at Super Mario 64, especially the Bowser fights, because mm. I was able to land them in one try every time. You're specifically really good at Mario 64 when you say you're about to screw something up. Yeah, that seems to be the <laughs> secret when I say like, oh, this is going to be a disaster. I'm going to fail it super hard. And then I get it first try flawlessly. Yeah, It's weird. Um, but like, it's that until I got to that one, the third hit of that fight, when the, the arena has become not a circle anymore and my brain's just like, I don't know, how do I process this? No, we can't do what? No, I've got one more song that I think is, uh, the obvious choice to finish on. It is of course the staff roll song. is my favorite credit song uh, probably of any game i think it hits all of the exact correct emotional tones um and i have been using it as like my my stream ending music for a while now um it's just got that perfect perfect feeling of resolution to me um like i was like it's like i was saying that there's there's an emotional tone to every song that makes it resonate with me. And this one is a feeling of finality and closure. Uh, I think that this, this song does that better than more or less anything I've ever heard. Uh, it's such a wonderful, important song to me in that regard. Uh, and I think it's the perfect song to end the game on. I think I kind of agree. This is among one of my favorite. I get extremely emotional when, uh, I listen to this this song 
for for roughly the same reasons. I think it's it's up there for me as well. It's a great song for kind of bringing you down off that high of beating the game, right? Of of, of a very challenging boss fight, or certainly one that can be, and then to kind of be rewarded with this. Uh, I mean, I think there's a lot of good ending songs, but I think this is probably one of the, my favorite uh, Mario uh, ending songs for sure. Mm-hmm. Pretty good list, honestly. And I mm. think I think yeah, ending on the staff roll is probably the best. That's a good the call. best we could ask for. So this is already a monster. Our our longest <laughs> podcast so far by a good half hour. Uh, M- Mario World was long, but I, it was only a little over an hour, if I remember correctly. But like again, fitting. This is the most historically significant game we have yet talked about, possibly that we will talk about for the whole show. Mm. In fact, I don't even think possibly is a, sen- is a word I should be using there. It, it is the most historically significant game we're going to talk about for the entire show. Are you sure it's not Tokyo Mirage Sessions? Oh, you're right. I forgot about that. That's the most historically uh, significant game we're going to talk about the whole show when we get to it in seven years. Not Pokemon Conquest? Uh, I think you're thinking of Fire Emblem Blazing Blade. I think you're both thinking of Croc. <laughs> that brings it up to like six. Yeah. Well, six <laughs> times that game's been... If you say it another time, you'll summon him. My, my hope was to end the episode on Croc. <laughs> Joe, you only have yourself to blame here. You know that, right? If somehow this episode leads to Croc being the fifth <laughs> DLC character for Super Smash Bros. Ultimate... Despite having... Did, did Croc even get a sequel? Is there a Croc 2? <laughs> oh, I hope not. I'm not even going to look it up because I don't want Our to know. Our next game. <laughs> Representing <laughs> fighter number 75. <laughs> the final character in Fighters Pass number 1. Croc. Oh, God. Uh, So, real quick... We have to address something because something happened since our Donkey Kong Country episode. Uh, a new character was announced and also a new the show is never ending ever was announced. Uh, so, OK, I want to I want to put this out here real real quick. Every time something like this happens, someone comes to me and is like, yeah, how do you feel about the show getting extended? And it's like, do you think that I'm not hyped to be doing more games like legit? Do you think I do you think I would have started this podcast if I was just like thinking every time like god I wish it would end? Every new character slot that's announced is a new chance it could be Arthur from Ghosts and Goblins. <laughs> I'm constantly living on a terrifying tightrope. <laughs> I feel like the most terrifying thing it could be is another Kid Icarus character. Cuz then we're screwed. <sighs> no, we have a plan for Viridian. Who else would it be? Uh Medusa as an Echo Fighter? Uh, if it's Medusa, then we just play another uh, Castlevania game. If it's Hades, then we play a, Her- a Disney Hercules game. Um, <laughs> now, Terry Bogard was announced. He is he is fighter number 74. Um, we do not know what game we are playing for him. And likely are probably going to save trying to figure that out until November hits when he comes out. Uh, just to see how he plays, uh, what kind of what kind of character he is. We know nothing about Terry Bogard. Man, you say that, but you you just wrote an entire script about him. I did just write a whole script about him, but even then, <laughs> like, right. I don't know enough to pick a game. Uh, we will figure out a game eventually. Um, even if we pick, like, one of the older Fatal Fury games, it should be noted that we will not play the game until Terry is out. We have made that, we have dis- uh, mutually agreed that that should be a rule. 
that if a DLC character is announced and their game came out either before or in this case, if we had chosen Fatal Fury itself um, or King of the best King of Fighters game, as as we're told, uh, it actually would have been before Mario 64. So we're just going to wait until Terry comes out. That's basically what it comes down to. I also just personally need that character art up on my stream layout. So, uh, yes, also that. Uh, so yeah. And then, you know, 500 more characters will show up because Sakurai could never sleep. <laughs> so because God has punished us for our hubris and our work is never finished with that. It's time for, uh, for Matt and I to move on, uh, and free Jordan from this, this hell we have dragged him into. And by hell, I mean, we had a good time playing Mario 64, right? I think we we all made it a hell equally. Yeah, taking that as we will. <laughs> yeah. No, it was good. I don't know. I was trying to aim him for one of your Twilight or Sunset comments. But I didn't quite <laughs> get there. Uh, this was fun. Like I, I, I liked going back to the game and having it. I've never had a chance to obviously podcast about this game before and uh, to kind of explore those thoughts about the game and talk about the really great music and stuff was really fun. So, uh, you know, thank you guys for having me on. This is a blast. Uh, if we get another chance to do this, I'd love to do that. Thank you for being here. I'm I'm still trying to convince Joe to let guests be on a second time. <laughs> and I am steadfast. And all those times of me saying, oh, this is more Joe's show than me, just so that I don't have to actually make any decisions or come back to bite me because now he has all the power. <laughs> well, also, I mean, one day you may wear me down, but not anytime soon. But like, keep in mind that at our current pace, this show will be going until we die. <laughs> when they get to 100 fighters, you're going to need people to come back and so just let me know at that time okay. <laughs> <laughs> you think they're shooting for that number i think i think they might try to hit it i hope not not because i don't want them to but also because sucker has got to sleep eventually right no he's so excited to be doing yeah, this. I, I know he say, is he's but excited. he's gotta he's gotta sleep eventually i could be excited for a lot of things but but that man is working himself to death uh, so Jordan, where can they, where can uh, people find your your stuff? Yeah, so please check out uh, my reviews on uh, NintendoReport.com. I've been putting up a lot of previews of PAX games, uh, PAX West games that I played uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, you can find those on NWR TV on YouTube, uh, but just on Twitter, I'm, I'm always posting links to my stuff as well. It's at Riskman64, R-I-S-K-M-A-N-64. Uh, 64 appropriately enough uh, for our Super Mario 64 episode because that's where it comes from, of course. Uh, yeah, please find me out on Twitter. I'm happy to chat with you guys online. And again, thank you for being on the show. You are our second guest, number two, both for Mario games, funnily enough. Our next guest <laughs> is not for a Mario game. Don't worry. Uh, it was uh, it was good to be on a podcast with you, Jordan, where mm -hmm. I wasn't slowly losing my grasp on sanity and consciousness. Yeah, I think the, the only Matt I remember is the, the drunk three-hour Fire Emblem podcast, Matt. So it's good to see that there's another side of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was good. It was good. Yeah, it's time for us to... I hope we enjoyed beating the last two games in one go, because back to games that will probably take us almost probably up to the end of the year. Our next game is representing fighter number 61, which I believe... No, that's not our highest number. We've done Simon and Richter. Who am I... What am I talking about? It's it's close, though. It's fighter number 61, Cloud. It is the 1997 game originally released for the PlayStation 1. 
It is one of two PlayStation games we will be playing for this. Final Fantasy VII. One of the most iconic JRPGs ever made. Pretty much. Uh, the, the JRPG that signified the end of an era being the end of Square's time working with Nintendo because they famously pulled the rug out from under Square. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, if you do not know that story, it basically goes like this. Um, Final Fantasy VII began development for what was going to be Nintendo's next system at the time because Square and Nintendo had a very good relationship. Final Fantasy was basically a Nintendo franchise. Uh, not really like owned by Nintendo, but its home was on the Super Nintendo and the NES and all that. But then Nintendo was like, hey, our next console still going to use cartridges. And Square was like, but we already started work on this game. It's not going to fit on a cartridge. And Nintendo said, well, I don't know what to tell you. We're, uh, we're using cartridges. And then, the, and then Square went over to the platform that was literally created by Nintendo's mistakes in the CD-ROM realm. Yep. Sony slipped into those DMs and said, hey, we're using discs. And Final Fantasy VII ended up being a PlayStation game, one of the most famous PlayStation games of all time, among, like, names such as Crash Bandicoot and Spyro and Silent Hill and Resident Evil. It's huge probably directly responsible for nintendo losing the console wars three generations in a row probably it's it's i think generally assumed to be like this was a huge loss this was possibly one of nintendo's biggest losses uh and it's it's finally on nintendo systems for the first time by the way this year <laughs> like it finally hit a Nintendo system for the first time in 2019, uh, which is the version both of us will be playing, I believe, correct? We'll both yes. be playing the Switch version? Absolutely. Assuming we don't take t so long that we can just play Remake. Yeah. <laughs> that game's not coming out. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're going to play Final Fantasy VII. Have you ever played a Final Fantasy game? I have never played any Final Fantasy game. I played, like, when I was, like, 10 years old, I played like three hours of Final Fantasy VI and I was ten years old and had no patience and didn't like reading so I didn't like it obviously uh, but I would not count that as actually properly having played a Final Fantasy so this is going to be my first time with the franchise my first time with the franchise has been I've started multiple Final Fantasy games at least once in my life uh, I watched a full long play of Final Fantasy VI which doesn't count as playing it, obviously, but, like, I've seen the story of that game. I started Final Fantasy V on stream at one point a long time ago. Like, we're talking... Oh, uh, it was probably, like, 2011 when I did that. I've started Final Fantasy VII at least four times in my life and never made it out of Midgar. I've... Uh, I am currently working through Final Fantasy X alongside a friend, which that will probably be the first time I beat a Final Fantasy game. I imagine I'm going to finish that before I finish VII. Uh, I have started Final Fantasy XII. I have started Final Fantasy XIII. I have started Final Fantasy XV. I've played a little bit of Final Fantasy XIV. I've played a good amount of Final Fantasy games. I've beaten exactly zero of them. <laughs> So, 
this is I'm I'm very excited for this, especially considering this is like either the most popular or the second most popular, depending on who you ask. Because a lot of people will also tell you that nine is the best game in the series. I mean, I'm sure not the one to tell you. Yeah, I I wouldn't be the one to tell anybody either. So yeah, our our win condition is of course beat Sephiroth. We're finally gonna fight Sephiroth. You know, him, the villain of Final Fantasy VII that everybody wants to fuck. What? Everybody wants to fuck Sephiroth. I feel like that's a better joke than just ignore it. I'm pretty sure that's the plot of the game. Last I checked. No, that's Kingdom Hearts. I can see Reed get confused. Huh? Oh, yeah. I mean, he's in that too. Uh, which, fun fact, this is the first time I ever met Cloud or Sephiroth, so to me, uh, I'm playing the, uh, the Kingdom Hearts spinoff title, Final Fantasy VII. Okay, buddy. Uh, people are already getting ready to stone me in the comments. So yeah, we're going from one of the most influential platformers of all time to one of the most influential RPGs of all time. No pressure here. And then after that, we get to play the Game & Watch games. <laughs> hey, are you going to say that Game & Watch wasn't influential? Yes. Uh, in terms of... No, he was pretty influential. He was the first handheld video games, basically. So, just like Earthbound, we are going to split this into parts, except I don't have, like, fully outlined parts for this one, because I've never played Final Fantasy VII all the way through. I feel like it's better without planned parts like that. Well, the first two have very easy milestones to hit. Being, what we're going to do for this first part is we're going to get out of Midgar. I'm still of the opinion that I feel like we shouldn't pre-plan the parts out. We're going to get out of Midgar because that's apparently where the game gets good. <laughs> I've heard this before. Most people that I have ever talked to while playing Final Fantasy VII, or uh, most people I've talked to that are fans of Final Fantasy VII, I should say, have said that every time they go replay the game, they forget that, oops, I forgot, I have to get out of Midgar first. So, at least the first two are probably going to be get out of Midgar and finish disc one. Past that, I don't fucking know. We'll see. We'll play it by ear. There's... I don't have anything, so... I've heard this promise that this long JRPG finally gets good several hours in before. Historically, it hasn't gone well for us. We'll we'll see. At least this one isn't divisive very much. Like Earthbound for all of for all of the people that that kept telling us that about Earthbound, that game is divisive historically, super divisive and didn't sell. Yeah, and didn't sell. This one, however, is not a cult hit. It was a hit. Like, through and through. Like, the biggest hit that the PlayStation 1 saw. It was mentioned on This American Life a couple months ago. This was the game that, like, Final Fantasy was a pretty big franchise before this. This is the game that made Final Fantasy what we know it as today. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> All, it's, there's a lot of pressure. If we don't like this game, this show is over. <laughs> People are going to track us down and kill us. Uh, hope y'all really like this song, because I got two options from Smash, and this is one of them. 
Thanks, Square. That's okay. It's not, it's not like Final Fantasy is known for good music or anything. Not like Final Fantasy is known for having one of the most notable composers in all of video games. Yeah, I mean, it only has two songs. How notable could it be? That's another thing that's going to change uh, compared to Earthbound. We did mention this during the Earthbound episode, the last Earthbound episode. Uh, we're going to talk about the music as we go instead of saving it all for the end this time. Because that was a disaster. That was this huge disaster. We had to, like, leave songs off that we wanted to talk about because it would have been an hour long. You say we, but that was just you. You're yes. the one that can't let go. Yes. So we're going to talk about the songs as we go. Because this is going to be yet another game where the soundtrack is massive. And I'm looking forward to it. Uh, with that, you can find us on Twitter at Smasterpieces. You can find us on Facebook at Smasterpieces. You can find us on YouTube at Smasterpieces. If you're seeing a pattern, it's because there's one. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Thedabaga. You can find Matt at Grimace Do Menace. You can find us uh, on Twitch. You can find the, stre- the uh, streams on NWR coming from Matt. On every Thursday <laughs> around <laughs> 6 p.m. <laughs> so, yeah, follow our Twitter to find out who's streaming where. It'll be pretty easy. With that, I'm Joe. I'm Matt. And we will see you next time for the first part of our discussion on Final Fantasy VII.